This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Weekend Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. Have you thought about planning your funeral? More Zoomers are turning their attention to the inevitable, and like everything else, they are changing the way it's done. And... Have you ever been called over the hill or of a certain age? Maybe someone referred to you as a little old lady or a grumpy old man. We'll talk about ageist language and what to do about it. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Britain has launched a $9 million fund for joint UK-Israel research into the diseases of aging. The collaboration is expected to produce technological developments to address the global challenge of lengthened life expectancy with cutting-edge research into the aging process and its effect on human health, including age-related diseases like Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, heart disease, diabetes, and multiple sclerosis. Fitbits and other wearable devices are making people more aware of their health. Now, a Vancouver-based company is taking the technology one step further with an app that aims to put your lifespan in your hands. Ederly gathers information about eating habits, vitamin intake, and mood, and then gives each user a longevity score updated daily. One company investor is offering a million dollars to the person who breaks the record for longevity, currently held by Jean Calmet of France, who lived to the age of 122 and a half. Speaking of longevity, seniors at a home in Montreal have lived a combined 2,030 years. At a birthday party this week, they skipped putting all the candles on the cake for the 20 residents who are all at least 100. Among the group is the sister of Viola Desmond, who just last week became the first black woman to grace Canada's $10 bill. Russian seniors have become YouTube stars for their protest against Vladimir Putin. The women decided to produce the anti-government video in their tiny rundown apartment, dancing to a Europop song. The women demand Putin do more to help Russia's seniors. Many are living in poverty because a pension of about $300 a month must cover rent and all other living expenses. A 25-year-old woman in Chengdu, China, took special wedding photos with her 87-year-old grandfather, even though she's not getting married. The woman said it's a way to express her love to her dearest grandpa, who raised her after her parents divorced. His health has been deteriorating, and she worried that he wouldn't have the opportunity to see her in her wedding dress if she waited to find a husband. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. 
Zoomers have transformed every part of the life cycle as they have moved through it. Now the same thing is happening with funerals. I sat down with David Garvey of the Ogden Funeral Home and a 40-year veteran of the industry. What I'm seeing with the Zoomer generation is they're saying, I want to be remembered in some manner. I think they're actually thinking more about funerals than what we give them credit for. But Zoomers themselves, one of the ways of remembering somebody is by having a gathering coming together and acknowledging the life that's been lived and celebrating that life. Yes, acknowledging the fact the person has died because that's important too. But coming together, I think the Zoomer generation wants to do this. How is the Zoomer generation doing death and funerals differently. I've heard of people who are not Irish having wakes. They want more of a party or leaning to a memorial service where the body is not present sometime after the death. How prevalent are those things? Okay, now this is interesting because we're getting into a generation now where they're talking about having living funerals. This is where you're gathering together before somebody actually dies. They're bringing their friends together and they're saying, I want to be able to tell my friends how much they meant to me, how much they're a part of my life. And I want to be expressed thanks to them and share memories and stories together before I die. They're called living funerals. Now, you is also the person sick when they're doing that? Sometimes they are, they are ill and sometimes they are getting very close to dying. And so they will bring their friends together and say, I want to have a living funeral. I want to be able to tell you just how much you meant to me. And they get to remember stories and tell stories and have laughter together rather than wait until the person has died. You've talked about having memorial services. And this is what I've seen happen. And we can't forget the importance of coming in and actually seeing a deceased person's body. Uh, 9-11 is a good example. These two airplanes that are in the bottom of an ocean somewhere that families would give anything to have their family member's body to be able to say goodbye. It's part of our inner core to be able to look at somebody, see the deceased person, and come to terms with the fact they have died. If you have a memorial service with, say, cremated remains present in the person's picture, people come in and it's a whole different atmosphere which is what we like in society today because here we are, we're a death-denying society. We don't want to talk about it. It's unpleasant. Grief is work. So we, we try to avoid it. When you have an urn present with a picture, it doesn't cause you to face your own mortality, which looking at a deceased person's body does. And so we know the, the value of actually seeing somebody after they've died. There's very therapeutic value in that and coming to terms with closure to a relationship but, to be able to move I, on in a healthy manner. As, as I said, it's, that's, kind of, that's not done in certain cultures. Now, again, you know, sometimes families will have their own private viewing of a deceased person. But then they're depriving uh, friends and relatives and community from being a part of that process. And it's interesting to hear sometimes um, people coming in, Zoomers, seniors, coming into the funeral home saying, oh, the casket's closed. I didn't get a chance to say goodbye to Bob. I'm thinking, wait a second, the person's dead, you're not saying goodbye, but it's being able to see Bob and say, yes, Bob has died, that's Bob. But as I said, it's taboo in certain cultures. It is. Are you saying that you think that baby boomers are coming around to doing this? Because my experience is, you know, they were the uh, forever young generation and just aren't considering their uh, ultimate demise. I think they're doing it in a different way. And we've kind of talked about the fact that you've got Zoomers today don't want the typical funeral that you've seen over the years. Uh, that being where instead of having, you know, the visitation and the, the funeral service in a church or a chapel, they may want to go someplace else and have that service. 
And that can be done. And they are thinking that far ahead? They are. But now again, we encourage, we try to educate the community. We encourage families to come in, talk to a funeral director. They're not obligated in any way. They can just sit down and talk to a funeral director to get information ahead of time rather than leave it to the last minute. When a family comes in, the death has taken place. They're emotionally upset. They may have spent the night at the hospital. They're exhausted physically, and they're sitting down to make funeral arrangements that are the same number of arrangements you'd be making if you're planning a wedding. And you'll take six months to a year to plan a wedding, and you expect to make funeral arrangements in two hours with that funeral director. We're event planners. We can do it, but we want to do what's best for the family. And I think by rushing it sometimes, the best decisions are not made. It's like going grocery shopping on an empty stomach. You buy all the wrong things. Technology and funeral service is exploding. We are now having, we do, we do memorial tributes with people with videos and such like. Uh, we have websites where people can go to. They can go online and, and leave tributes. I have one concern with technology and funeral service. We are live streaming funeral services all over the world. And that's great because there's times when families can't come for economic reasons or sometimes medical reasons. Maybe they're in a hospital, a nursing home. They can't come to the funeral service. So we can take that service to them. They want to be a part of it, but they just can't be there. But what happens if suddenly people say, I feel uncomfortable going to a funeral. I don't know what to say. and, And I don't like all the emotions involved. So I think I'll just watch it online. Well, suddenly you've got a family in a room all by themselves with the deceased person having a funeral service. Everybody's watching it online. And I think that's where the the pendulum, we have to be careful, doesn't swing too far in the opposite direction. Technology is great. And I think it's doing some wonderful things in funeral service as long as it's kept in balance. What changes in the way funerals are done do you anticipate in the coming years? We have this big shift, I think, towards making sure that funerals are personalized. We've heard so much lately about Uh, Instead of having a funeral, let's have a celebration of life. I think we've got to be careful that we don't forget somebody has died. So again, there's balance. I'm an absolute believer that when a death takes place, we know how to grieve well so in order we can live well. Okay. Thank you so much for that, David Garvey. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. That was David Garvey of the Ogden Funeral Home. He's part of my panel on the transformation of the funeral industry, which will air on an upcoming episode of The Zoomer on our sister station, Vision TV. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is The Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, have you ever been called over the hill, adorable, or grandma by someone other than your grandkids? Should we do something about ageist language? You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Who are you calling young lady? That's the title of an article on ageist language like geezer or fogey, or the tendency to patronize elders by addressing them as honey, sweetie, or dear. I reached writer Amanda Duarte, who prepared something of a glossary for the AARP magazine. You know, we made lists of words that we're offended by personally. We asked around to other friends who are older about language they liked language they didn't like so much. What are some of the most offensive terms, ageist terms? I really hate the word like MILF and cougar to describe older women that are actually sexually active. And I probably the one that I hate the most is when people refer to any older woman as a grandma. You know, like a, an older woman makes the news for something. And everyone says, oh, a grandma does this. Grandma, you know, 
surfs in Hawaii. Grandma plays drums in a train station. But quite a lot of the time, these, first of all, are not women with grandchildren or children at all. And also it just is to imply that any woman that age, that the descriptive term to use for her is as, you know, that of a grandmother or referencing her reproductive history. It's just, and people do it with older men too. They call them grandpa, but they don't find that it's as often as it is calling women grandma. And I just think it's gross. What about of a certain age? That for me, uh, it's like it's some kind of, you know, government secret or so, like it's some kind of shameful thing. The number of your age, if it's high, it's shameful to say it out loud. So it's, people are speaking in code about it or something. You know, it's like, I think there is something gently offensive to that. I've used that term myself many times, but very sort of sarcastically. What about sometimes people, when they're celebrating a birthday of somebody who's older, say, oh, she's 95 years young? It's the same as with the term that we use to title the piece, referencing how, and this happens so often, especially with waiters. Waiters will come over to the table, they'll say, and what would you young ladies like today? To a table full of grown women, and especially older women, it's patronizing, it's offensive, it's, you know, I understand it's, what you're doing is you're pointing a finger at my age and also invalidating it and also implying that it's something that uh, we want to ignore or not acknowledge or not be comfortable with. I think they think they're being flirtatious or something. I, don't, well, I mean, I, when it's a waiter, I think they just want to get a tip. Is this a matter of we should get rid of this offensive language? I mean, we no longer use offensive language to describe people with certain kinds of handicaps. When you're talking about terminology that refers to people, human beings, and if those human beings say, you know what, I don't really love that term that you use to refer to me. I mean, it's personal. And uh, if somebody asks to be referred to a certain way or not to be referred to a certain way, I think that's probably the most essential right that any of us has in the world, and I totally respect it. We don't discuss ageist language as much as we discuss racist or sexist or ableist language. We're just sort of bringing these terms up and discussing them in a way that we haven't seen them discussed. The article has a lot of comments where people agree and disagree, and there are some people who, you know, for instance, we don't love the word elderly, but um, there are some people who do, and that's fine. You know, if somebody says to you, I am totally fine with the term elderly, then go ahead and use it. Put, them on a, put it on their coffee mug and give it to them for Christmas. But, like, if, if I say to you, I don't love the term elderly, and you decide to use that word very aggressively to prove a point to me that I can't control your speech or something then that's not even about the word. That's about just, you know, hostility and aggression. Is the point here that people are being condescended to and and sort of infantilized? Yeah, some of them. I think some of the terms that we put on the list, I think that does happen. I think that this culture does infantilize old people and condescend to older people. And it's so completely the opposite of so many other cultures where people who are older are revered and looked to for, you know, wisdom and advice and actually are the most powerful people in the community. The way that older people in America are disempowered and disrespected and infantilized and just sort of shunted off out of sight culturally is, it's, it's, completely, it's it's insane, actually, is what it is. I mean, it makes absolutely no sense to me. I think a lot of this language is very infantilizing, and that comes from a very deep cultural wound. And, you know, in order to sort of 
get to that wound and start to uh, heal it, first, you know, we have to sort of look at the scab on the surface as the language, and then you sort of acknowledge the wound. What are some terms that you like and would like to see used more often for older people? Um, There are some that we like a lot. Um, Older is fine. Older is great. Uh, Experienced is very nice. We like, um, well, my writing partner likes the word seasoned a little more than I do, so it made the positive list. Mature is fine. Ageless is great. Sort of riding the edge of calling someone young, but I do like ageless and timeless. And we really like the word distinguished, although that is usually used for men. uh, We would like to start to use it for women as well, because there are lots of women who fit into that category. So we'd like to see that word used for women more as well. Are women talked down to more, and do they get more of this ageist language? Oh, absolutely. I mean, women are talked down to more at all ages, and it just keeps getting worse as you get older. Yeah, I think it's much worse. What do you think about the way this might open up a conversation? I think a lot of the time people don't, there's so much in the air and in the cultural ether right now, uh, these discussions about language as pertains to sexism, ableism, racism, gender identity. And it's wonderful. We're all starting to ask more questions. How can we be more respectful in the way that we address other human beings? I mean, language is incredibly powerful. It shapes the entire world that we live in. So why wouldn't anyone want to make an environment or a relationship a lot more respectful and comfortable for everyone involved? And so we are hopeful that our little article in our little magazine will inspire people to have these conversations. And if there's someone who doesn't want to be called a grandma, maybe she'll feel a little more empowered. Okay. Amanda Duarte, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much. It's been fun. That was U.S.-based writer Amanda Duarte. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, birthday wishes to an iconic singer-songwriter and composer. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Zneimer. It's time for your international arts date book. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. 56 years after it all began in London, the Rolling Stones are kicking off their first UK tour since 2006. The No Filter Tour begins in Cork, Ireland. In Amsterdam, 35 portraits that usually hang in the Hermitage Museum in St. Petersburg, Russia, are on display at the Rijksmuseum, profiling Europe's rich and powerful history over the past 500 years. Now in previews on Broadway, J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter and the First Child, the eighth and only theatrical installment in the celebrated Wizarding Saga, opens April 22nd. And now open in Melbourne, the Buxton Contemporary. Fueled by a $26 million gift, the museum provides a new home for the extraordinary art collection of Australian property developer and art collector Michael Buxton. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Date Book. Singer-songwriter Neil Sedaka turned 79 this week. The 60s pop star says his voice is perfect and he can still play piano despite having arthritis. But this will be his final year of touring after being on the road for 60 years. He says he wants to bow out while he's still in good shape. 
Sadaka has racked up an impressive list of hit singles, including Laughter in the Rain, Bad Blood, and this hit from 1975, Breaking Up is Hard to Do. Do 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 down do be do down down come come down do be do down down That was Neil Sedaka with his hit Breaking Up is Hard to Do. He celebrated his 79th birthday this week. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Snymer. Produced by Christine Ross, Michelle Saunders, Paul Thomas, and Andre Lowy. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.